Amen. My name is Jonathan. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and uh, Pastor Chris is on vacation, so I'm filling him in for him uh, this morning. And so I just want to start by, by saying this. Um, we've all got one, don't we? I don't know what you're thinking about, but I'm talking about family. Whether we like it or not, we all have family, and our family heritage has an enormous impact on our present and our future Life. Now, the problem is, is that our, our life was not like a Pixar movie where before we were born into our family, we got to be in this world and we got to just look down on earth and pick our family and go to that one. No, we don't have a choice in our family on, on who, who we're born into. And in the same way, in fact, we don't even have a choice. We, di we didn't decide to be born into this world, did we? But yet here we all are. Here, here we sit, and there are just some natural consequences just on the fact that we have been born into this world. If you were born into this world, that means you came into this world as a natural-born sinner. I mean, that means your life now, when you start out in this world, you're sinning because that is your nature. Now, we're going to stick a pin in that. I'm going to circle back to that. But by the same token, we didn't get to pick our family. We are born into an earthly family. And like it or not, we receive, we develop traits from the family that we're born into, even though we didn't get to pick that. Now, some of, some of the family traits are, are good. They're, they're kind of great sometimes. Maybe, maybe you had a dad that has a great sense of humor and you inherited that sense of humor. Maybe you have the ability to actually remember a joke. I, I don't. I don't have that ability, but maybe you do, and that's great. Or maybe you have a mom, it's a physical trait, that just had amazing eyes, and you inherited your mom's eyes, and now you have amazing eyeballs, right? And that's fantastic. That's a good trait. You're like, oh, thank God she's my mom, right? But then it's not all so great, is it? Sometimes we actually inherit and, and we d develop some of those uh, bad traits in life too. Now, well, parents, you know when it's a good trait, uh, when, when, when you have kids and your kids are displaying or they're practicing those good traits that you know probably come from you, what do we do? We claim them. We're like, oh yeah, that is my kid. That's my boy. That's my girl. They belong to me. But when they start practicing those bad traits, parents, what do we do? When they start, you know, they're, they're, maybe they're, you're standing in line with your kid and they are just pitching a royal fit because they can't have that stupid blow pop that you've told them 10 times that they can't have. What, what do we do then as parents? We disown them. We deny them quick, don't we? Like, oh, they're displaying that bad trait that probably comes from you too or just their natural born state. And we quickly like, we start, we start pointing fingers like, that is your son that is your daughter. And sometimes we even say, I don't even know whose kid that is. Can you believe parents these days? They don't even control their kids. We do that, don't we? Kids, guys, and listen, kids quickly realize too, oh, wow, I'm inheriting all these traits that I didn't decide. In fact, kids, as you grow older, you're going to find life is just a, a little adventure, little Easter eggs you're going to find all along the way of fun little traits you didn't know initially you were going to get, but boom, you got them. In fact, where I'm concerned, I'll just give you two examples, like a physical trait and a behavioral trait. In my family, uh, it was hilarious. Like about, I don't know, my late 20s, maybe early 30s, I was visiting my dad, and I'm sitting on a couch. He's across from me, and I just, man, I just start doing this on my leg, just going, it is itching like crazy. And I noticed my dad is doing the same thing. And I was like, Dad, what? is your leg itching like crazy dude? He's like, oh yeah. And he hikes up his pants and there are band-aids and blood running down his legs. 
I was like, what is happening? He's like, oh yeah, I've had really bad eczema on my legs for years. So that's just a little Easter egg that I found out that I've got to look forward to now. It's like, great, that's a physical trait that I inherited, right? Just because I was part of the family. Just because I was part of the family. Now, I'm given traits too, not just physical traits, but behavioral traits with the kids in my family. In fact, uh, as part of the Jones family, when we go on trips or vacations, I'm the vacation planner. That's the responsibility given to me. And I, okay, fine. If I'm going to plan the trip, I'm going to plan what we do. So my kids are basically older now. They're, they're young adults now, but all their life, I plan the trip. And so they just know if it's a Jones family vacation, we are going to climb up something, jump off something, or repel down something. And they just think that's normal, that's a behavioral trait now that they have. Sure, they're all girls and they like to lounge on the beach, but they know that's coming. That's part of that trip. So they've taken on that behavioral trait. And the point is this, guys. There is, there is a lot that comes with being born into something from someone, isn't there? There's a lot that comes with that. It affects the way you live. And today, we're going to actually be taking a look at what it means to be born of God, to be born again, in this case, into a brand new family, the family of God, and what that represents and how that affects our life and our lifestyle. See, the, the point, kind of the main takeaway, if you all think from our text today, is this. The way that you live, it doesn't make you who you are but it will reveal who you are. You'll find out, others will find out, because based on the way that you're living your life, it's going to reveal who you are and who you belong to. And so when it comes, the good news today, when it comes to being born of God, even though we, we, we didn't choose our earthly family or being born in this world in that natural state of sin, when we're born again into the family of God, that is amazing news because only good traits happen, only good stuff comes from that. And so we're going to continue our series today in the book of First John. We're going we're to take a look starting in chapter 2, verse 28, about what John has to, to share about being children of God, being born again into the family of God, and what that actually means <clears throat> for us. And let me just do a quick recap of our, of our series in First John. If you're just joining us via live stream or you're here today and you're just now coming into to this series, uh, the, the, the book of First John was written by the apostle John. That just means he, he was a person that saw the incarnation. He saw the fleshly Jesus. He was alive at that time. And, and he's, he's, he's written other books in, in the New Testament as well. He's writing this little letter to a church congregation in Asia Minor, and he's doing it for multiple reasons, but for two big ones, I think. One is he's one of the last living apostles, so he wants to make sure that that church congregation and this church congregation today understand some key core beliefs and principles about the gospel and our life of faith. He's also doing it in response to a false gospel that's risen up at that time called Gnosticism. It comes from the word knowledge. You guys, Chris has already talked about this a, a little bit, but you're going to see it. It's, it's this ancient thing that happened, but, but you're going to hear some similarities of what's happening in our culture to, today. Basically, Gnosticism, uh, if you boil it down, they, they believe that spiritual stuff was good, anything physical was bad, but then there is one key component in there. They, they believe very much in an individualistic belief that it was all just about the, your in, the individual and your individual faith. In fact, they believed that God would give each individual a special knowledge intended just for them and nobody else. And that is super dangerous because basically what they're saying is, hey, faith is yours. You, you, you do you. Does that sound familiar? 
today in our culture. In fact, because of what they believe too, they actually were anti-institution, anti-community, and so because it was all about the individual, so they stopped practicing baptism, they stopped practicing the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate at the end of our time today, and they would have had a problem with the incarnation because that was spirit wrapped in flesh. And John is reminding us in this little letter that, listen, we do not work out our faith alone. Corporate belief matters. What we believe matters. And there are foundational truths to the one true gospel. And it's important to understand and know that, to be aware of what we believe and what we practice. So I'm going to pick up actually at the end of verse 27 because John, throughout his letter, he actually does this. He, has, he repeats words and phrases over and over again. You're going to see that here today just in this text. And anytime something gets repeated like that, we need to pause and pay attention because it's probably important. So at the end of verse 27, he says, just as it is taught you, abide in him. He's gonna re- you're going to see that a lot, that word abide. And he goes on to say, and now little children, children of God, listen up, little children, you're going to see that repeated. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You'll see that repeated again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You may have a translation, and you may have heard that before, saying, see how much the Father has lavished his love on us. The, the, the idea behind this is actually, what country do you even come from, Lord, that you could have that much love for somebody, especially somebody like me? They're, he's basically saying, who are you? Who is this God that has this much love? It says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, We are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, in that text, we also see if you're ever wondering, like, man, where do all these doctrines come from? Like, the doctrine of salvation. Uh, I never, when I read scripture, I never see it like laid out that way. Actually, it just in that text I read, we actually see one of the doctrines of salvation. We, John actually writes uh, right here, we see the, uh, the doctrine of justification, sanctification, and glorification. All right here. That's where we get that from. That, that's our corporate belief when it comes to salvation and justified when we're justified in christ that just means we are secure now once we put our faith and trust and we are born again we are a child of god we are secure in that nothing can take that away because we're putting our faith and trust in another person and the work that he has done for us on our behalf and we're justified but that's not the ending point that's the starting point of our salvation and now john is saying we move to sanctification which is transformation in our salvation now now we're in a new family so we're going to be transformed we're going to have new traits we're going to learn new behaviors because of the family that we're a part of because who is the leader of our family our father in heaven and he is going to send his spirit living inside of us to transform us and that is part of our salvation that we call sanctification now and then he talks about that glorification that glorious day when we finally get to see our dad again when we finally get to see our father for who he actually is we get to be in his presence and man that changes everything forever because our glorification means now we are complete now the salvation is complete we can be and experience his presence forever 
and things are finally made right in our life and in all of creation. And so not only do you see that kind of doctrine there uh, teaching us as a corporate body, but you also see a word like abide over and over again. I just want to uh, pause there for, for just a second to, to, to kind of tell you uh, what that word uh, means here because I think, I think we get confused when we see or read that word abide sometimes. Abide literally just means to remain or to remain in and we see it in other places in scripture like in Ecclesiastes 1.4 uh, where the writer writes, generations come and generations go but the dude abides forever. One person. Really? Don't act like you hadn't seen the movie. Alright, so what, what, I'm ta- what he's talking about here is, yes, abiding. We think sometimes when we hear that word abide that it is, we're just supposed to be like the dude. We're in some zen-like state where it's like, okay, we got, we're in the family now, man. It's just all good. We just exist now kind of in this natural zen state. It's actually the opposite of what that word means here. It is actually a word of command, and it means constant action. We see it again from this same writer in John chapter 5, a book that he wrote as well. When, when it, you talk about that famous chapter that talks about, I'm the vine, God is the vine, we are the branches, and we abide in him. What that's showing us is a dynamic, constant action of this dynamic relationship where one part, one party of the relationship is solely dependent on that other party in the relationship and there's this dynamic thing going on this constant action and because of that we have the 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 nutrients that we need and we can grow and develop into what we're supposed to be and that's what it means to abide and that's what he's talking about here now when we abide in our father abiding in christ is like that and john is saying now that you are children of god you get to abide fully in the Father and transformation will happen. And there's, that's very good news if you're a child of God. Now, if you've got a brand new family, and we do as children of God. And so John is saying, okay, from that, understand that we can now be confident in his coming and certain of who we are. So what does that mean? Practically speaking, it means that now, guys, listen, as children of God and his family, our identity is secure. Nobody gets to tell us who we are. We don't decide who we are. We have been identified because we are part of his family and now our identity is secure. Thank God. Guys, there is such an identity crisis going on right now in our culture, especially in our younger generation, and they are desperately trying to figure out who they are, who their identity is, and the problem is just like Gnostics, they believe that it comes from within comes from their own faith, whatever it is they believe, and it leaves them miserable. And God is, John is teaching us here, no, no, your identity is secure in Christ. When you are born into my family, you are going to be satisfied and secure in your identity by my gracious adoption, and I'm going to give you confidence. Guys, when we're secure in our identity, we have so much confidence, right? We can walk through so much stuff, and God is saying, now you're going to have confidence to live and act like your father. Not only that, by the way that we live now, based on being secure in our identity, it is going to start giving away who we actually belong to. Based on the way that you start living now, and that confidence by being secure in your identity in Christ, it's going to start giving away those traits that you have now. It's going to start giving away to the world who you now belong to, who, who's a part now, the, the part that you play in your family. And so when we practice righteousness as children of God, that is a telltale sign. That you're a child of God. 
And that's actually reassuring. That is assurance, guys. When, when, when we have the ability now to practice righteousness, that is telling people who we are because our Father is righteous, we are born of Him, and we have His righteousness. And as children, we start taking on our Father's traits and living like Him. And so when we're confident of who we are, now we can actually be excited when Dad shows up. Now we can actually be anticipating seeing our father once again. He, he talks about that here. Now I'm going to give you a very stereotypical illustration here, so just calm down. You don't have to experience this, but you're going to get it, okay? You may not have got the do joke, but you'll get this. So you've got a mom and dad, you've got a family, and so the idea that John is, is representing here is like, okay, mom's at home with the kids all day. She is cooking. She is cleaning. The kids are being God awful, they are misbehaving, they are fighting, they are punching each other. She is at her wit's end, and then dad gets home from work and he shows up, and what happens? It is like the Savior has entered the, the room, right? Kids are excited, they can't say, Daddy's home, and they run. When my kids were little, they would run to me, and I immediately would start roughhousing and playing with them. They couldn't wait to be in my presence. They did not hide in the corner in fear and shame. Now, my wife got super angry at me for that, right? But the principle is there, isn't it? We get that when we're excited to be in our Father's presence because it makes everything okay, right? And we're, we're anticipating that. We're anticipating that, that day when we actually get to be in the presence of our dad and abide in his presence forever, right? Now, the point is, is that we're not home yet. We're still being transformed through that sanctification process. But that future hope that we have about being fully in his presence one day, it helps us with our present troubles, right? Being in his family now. And so the way that you live, remember the way that you live, it doesn't make you who you are. It reveals who you are. It reveals who you belong to. And John knew this, so he's going to repeat some things again. He's, he's going to expound on these things again. So I just want to spend the rest of our time kind of camping out in these last uh, several verses, verses 4 through 10, because he's now going to take uh, some of these things that, that we've already kind of seen, some of these words that we just read, like abide and practice and children. We're going to see these repeated again, but now he's going to do something that he does all throughout this book. He, he, he compares and contrasts light and dark, but light wins, right? So now he's going to compare and contrast sinners and children of God, and that sinners practice righteousness, that's their very nature, and that children of God, because of the family they're in, they're going to practice righteousness. So he's going to compare and contrast those. So we pick up in verse 4. And we read, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And so right away, John, John has given us this idea to, to help us understand what sin is. It is outside of God's law. It is outside of those boundaries. We know basically he's saying, hey, when, when you're a sinner still, you're an outlaw. It's this caricature of the cowboy in the old western movies with the hat and the gun, and he's the outlaw and the rebel. And we know that they are only, the outlaw only lives for himself. That's it. Could, doesn't care about any other person in their life or any other thing, and they would just assume to shoot and kill you if you get in their way because they're only, cared, they're only caring about themselves. Now, we don't have outlaws like that, dressed up like that among us today, although it is western North Carolina, so I'm assuming everybody's packing, so we probably got guns here. But the point is, there are outlaws still among us today, the self-righteous kind. 
It's those kind that, that creep in and they'll take God's truths and they'll take his laws and they will twist them for their own self-glory. They'll judge others for their own self-glory. They'll still be outside of God's law. They'll still be a sinner, keeping on sinning, living only for themselves as they kill and destroy those in their wake. We still have those, and that's what John is representing here. And he goes on to say, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or, know, uh, or has known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous, of course, right? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, now, John actually introduces a new character here, the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, and the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And the word that he uses here from the devil is the accuser, the slander. And we don't have to def define that, do we? We know what it means to be accused and slandered, don't we? That's what, the, that's what he's saying here. You've got an external force now on top of all this that is accusing you falsely, that is spreading lies about you. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed, his very spirit lives inside of you. It abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. If you're a child of God, you're not gonna keep on just living for yourself, being an outlaw because now you're part of a family and our family doesn't behave that way because we have righteousness in us. So he's been born of God and by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so he, he talks about this, this idea of okay if you're a sinner you're going to keep on practicing sin. And so we have this internal sinful nature now. Remember when we started we were like we're born in this world we have this sinful nature so that's how we're going to live. We're going to live solely for ourselves and we're going to keep on sinning. That's our master. We don't have any choice in, in the matter. But he's also saying, now we have an external force. You have an accuser and a slanderer there. You have the devil, and he is really good at it. He is really good at it. In fact, he's so good at it, that's one of the reasons the Son of God had to come was to destroy the works of the devil. And I, this is not in the text, so this is just my opinion. But I, I really believe that when, when we're still outlaws and we're part of that family and that gang, the, the, the devil's not as concerned about us. It doesn't mean he doesn't attack. It just means he's not too concerned about us. But the minute that we're born again into God's family, man, I think the accusations and the lies and the slander comes fast and furious. I think the minute he sees us actually get adopted into a new family, man, the accusations and those lies, they come quick and they come constant, don't they? And what do we do? What happens when somebody starts accusing you of something, even when it's a lie? If they do it enough, if they do it over and over and over again, what do we do? If we're not careful, we start believing it, don't we? In fact, in, in this case, if we're not careful, you're going to start believing the lie that, that, that the devil is throwing at you. You say, hey, you know, you're not really worthy to be a child of God. You know that, right? I know what you've done. They may not, your family may not, but I do. You're not worthy of being a child. You're not worthy to be a part of that family. And start believing it. Start saying, would a child of God really do that? And so they'll even take those outlaws, the people that you love the most, that you trusted the most sometimes, the devil will use those people sometimes, and they'll start accusing you. They'll start even taking God's truth and twisting it around for their own self-glorification, right? And in fact, let's look now then at what a child actually 
would practice and would do. A child of God that actually practices righteousness. What would happen in that scenario, right? So, yes, one of the evidences of you being a child of God is that children of God in his family practice righteousness. Now, we don't have a problem typically believing that sinners practice ongoing. They live for themselves, and they're going to keep practicing sinning. But for some reason, we have a problem with, okay, now we're a child of God, so that means we're going to practice righteousness. That's what John is saying here. We are, of course you are, because you're in, a, you're in God's family now, and you have his righteousness inside of you. So of course you're going to practice that, because you're born again, and you've been given a new life and a new identity, which means now you can actually be a lawful child of God, operating inside his boundaries. Because now, guys, not only do you have the ability to do that, now you actually have the power to do that because the, the, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. So now you have the power to do it, and you have the freedom to do it because you have been set free from your outlaw ways, from your old master, and now you have the freedom to actually practice righteousness and the responsibility to do it because that's what God's family does. His children practice righteousness. That's what we do because we're part of his family now. And we have the ability and the power and the freedom to do all that. So as a child of God, no, we're not going to keep on sinning. We're not going to solely live for ourselves anymore. A child of God will actually start dying to their self and start practicing righteousness. Christianity is not about self-improvement. It is about dying to your old self so that you can be transformed and actually practice righteousness, his righteousness, because we're part of his family now. So, of course, children of God are going to practice righteousness. Now, does this mean that we're never going to sin again as children of God, being part of his family? No, it doesn't. In fact, in this very same letter in the, the first chapter in verses 8 and 9, John actually writes that. He says, listen, anybody that says they're without sin is a liar. But anybody that also confesses their sins to a righteous God, they're going to be cleansed of their unrighteousness. So John's saying, no, yeah, you're still going to sin. He's not talking about a specific sin here or that you're never going to sin. He is talking about a way of life now that happens because you're, you're a child of God. So you're not going to keep on living solely for yourself, right? And so what happens is as a child of God, when it comes to sin in our life, we now have the power and the freedom to repent quicker and repeat those sins slower in our life thank god by his grace and his mercy so what does it mean then to actually practice righteousness what does that look like so, so we, we look at the example that jesus set for us in philippians 2 when it says jesus came and he humbled himself and he didn't consider equality something to be grasped and he came into our world he moved into our sinful world right as a suffering servant he was practicing righteousness. And when he came that way, he wasn't concealing who he was. He was revealing who he was. He was revealing to us, this is who your father is. Somebody that loves you so much that they would humble themselves, wouldn't consider equality something to be grasped, and actually suffer and die for you. So as children, we start taking on these traits of righteousness as our father and we start putting in them into practice and when we practice righteousness that means we practice forgiveness you want to know well what does it mean to practice right it means we're practicing 
forgiveness now. And guys, now we can actually practice forgiveness as his children because we have the ability and the power because we have the spirit living inside of us and the freedom to do it because we're not, we're not a slave to that old master anymore and the responsibility to do it. So now we practice forgiving people that have hurt us. And you may say, John, you just don't understand how much I have been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by your earthly family. A lot of cases, it's by the people that we, we love and trusted the most. You're like, man, I, I've been hurt for so, so much for so long, so often. You just don't understand. Well, well here's, here's the reality as the children of God. I don't care. Not that I don't care about you, but you actually still have the ability and the power and the freedom and the responsibility to forgive someone no matter what because that's, that's what his family does, Right? And when Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times are we supposed to forgive people? And Jesus' response was, as long as they keep hurting you, you keep forgiving them because that's what his children does. That's, that's what we do, right? We continue to forgive people. That is practicing righteousness. And that is a beautiful thing. We practice kindness. Now we can actually be kind to those that are unkind to us because we have the ability and the power and the freedom and the responsibility to practice kindness and thank God we can practice mercy because we have a God that has poured out so much mercy on us and has lavished so much love on us that, that, that our response is who is that of what country does a God like that even come from who is this person where, where do they come from and now when, when people need it the most, we get to practice mercy in their life. When they're looking at us as children of God, of somebody that belongs to a new family now, not the old family, they're looking at us and they're expecting judgment. And guess what we get to do? We get to practice mercy. We get to practice mercy. And that's how those that are still in that old family, those that are still outlaws and that are still practicing sin, that's how they're going to want to break free. Because they're going to watch the children of God actually behaving like the children of God. And when they look at us, it, it may be that they're, they're going to start to wonder. They're, they're going to look at you as a child of God. And they're like, how in the world is it even possible that they keep forgiving their husband? They keep forgiving their wife and their son and their daughter and their neighbor and their coworker? How, how is that even possible? Where does somebody like that come from? that person looks at us now that that person while we were still outlaws together growing up in madison county or in lester that person that grew up with us raising cane and knows exactly who we are that was like man i know you i know what family you're from i know your mama and your daddy i know all these things about you and now i know you claim to be a child of god now and i know you still got sin in your life but now there's something different now now when you sin you actually confess it and you repent and now when you say you, 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 you remind me just how, how thankful and grateful you are for God's mercy in your life that you can actually be in that family now and that changes people because his children are practicing righteousness and it's that person guys it's that person in your life that you still know that outlaw that, that you still know and it may be you I don't know that that you, get, you can never get over the worthless tag. You've just done so much. They've done so much, and all they've ever gotten from God's children, quote, God's children is judgment. 
But man, you get to show up as true children of God. And you get to pour mercy into their life over and over and over again. Guys, when you practice righteousness like that, changes things, changes people. They want to start, that they want to leave their old family and, and join yours. They want to be adopted into your family now. When we start practicing righteousness like that. So I want to leave you with just a couple challenges to today based on this idea of being children of God having the ability and the power and the freedom and the responsibility to practice righteousness. So one is, is this. Who is that person in your life right now? Who, who needs an act of righteousness in your life right now? Who is it? Who, who is that person that is, needs the, you to practice kindness toward them? Who, who is that person that you need to, to forgive, to practice righteousness? Because that's what God's kids do family we're a part of that's what we do now man who desperately needs mercy in their life to show up who is it who is that person in your life that needs that man beloved my prayer is that, that you'll be able to practice that kind of righteousness this week to that person that desperately needs it and then two i want us as a faith family because uh, our common belief matters the things that we do together like this matter. So I want us to meditate and pray over this liturgy that you should have gotten, uh, you should have received when you came in. If, if you didn't get one, you can go back to our communion tables and grab one now or pick up a communion cup if you didn't get that either because we're going to celebrate communion and the Lord's Supper because God did not come to redeem your spiritual life. He just came to redeem your life, every bit of it, physical, spiritual, all of it. So we're going to celebrate that today, but before we, we do that, it's a reminder as we read this liturgy today, it hopefully we'll be able to sit with it and, and think about it for just a minute before we uh, partake in the Lord's Supper today, because it, it is a reminder that it is not about your faithfulness, but His. It is not about your righteousness, but His. And the only reason you get to practice it is because of him today. So I'm going to read this liturgy, uh, this liturgy as, a, as a corporate family today, and you're just going to have to pretend like I'm from Morgan Freeman's family, so it'll sound better. But we're going to read this together, and then I just want you to take two or three minutes and sit with it. Sit with it for as long as you want this week, but for two or three minutes today, as a, as a corporate body, I want us to sit with it before we take communion today. And whatever it is that's, that's going to jump out at you, just sit with that today as I read this. So I'm going to read it, then I'll sit down for a couple minutes, then I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. So this is a liturgy, by the way, that was written by two women from a church up in New York City. During the pandemic, they've, written, they've put together a whole book now called Liturgies for Hope, and this is one of them. Uh, I think it's appropriate for us today based on what we just learned. So it says, a liturgy for the unfaithful. <sighs> o Lord, we are adulterers who have wandered from your love. We inherited a world that began with teeth sunk into fruit, the garden of a violated covenant. So it is no wonder our promise breaking comes as naturally as breath. In ways both big and small, we leave the one who loves us. In the morning when we first reach our phones, when our checklists become more pressing than your voice, when food is more enticing than your presence, when we cherish earthly relationships more than you, how quickly we discard the sacred mystery of union with you. These bodies of death know how to leave, but forget how to stay. 
Falsely, we have believed that faithfulness to you is a white-knuckle effort, a surplus of lack. Oh, perfect lover, teach us the wild passion of fidelity. Reveal the mysterious splendor of your jealousy. Remind us that death to self is a resurrection elsewhere. Oh, God, even in my unfaithfulness, condemnation never escapes your mouth. Like the woman caught and surrounded by stones, I am met with a gaze of love. Quiet calling to come home to the one who will wait up for me. Oh, Jesus, you desire faithful love and not sacrifice. You're the bridegroom who rejoices at my coming, the shepherd who traces my wandering steps, the father who runs to hold my mud-soaked body to yours. Grant me the grace to return freely and fully to you. Amen.